The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Tableau Software and Dole Food Company. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our military who are tuning in from remote locations today, along with new listeners in Pennsylvania, Arizona, Chicago, Washington, California, and Florida. Thank you for being with us again. In just a moment, popular editor of the Weekly Standard and political analyst Bill Kristol will weigh in on the recent reaction to Netanyahu's speech, as well as the ISIS threat. But before Mr. Kristol joins the program, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. William Crystal was born in New York City. His father, Irving Crystal, was also a managing editor and publisher and is often referred to as the godfather of neoconservatism. William Crystal studied at Harvard University, where he received his undergraduate degree and Ph.D. In addition to the impact his father and mother had on young Crystal's interest in current events, his love affair with politics began early. When he was just 12 years old, he volunteered for Daniel Patrick Moynihan's city council campaign, and then later worked for him in his successful bid for Senate. Crystal taught political science at the University of Pennsylvania and Harvard until 1985, when he was asked to serve as Chief of Staff to Secretary of Education William Bennett in the Reagan administration. And in 1989, he was appointed Chief of Staff to Vice President Dan Quayle. Following his work at the White House, he became Chairman of the Project for the Republican Future. In 1994, Mr. Crystal joined forces with Rupert Murdoch to launch and become the editor of the Weekly Standard. He's also been a regular analyst for This Week, Fox News Sunday, and Special Report with Brent Baer, as well as hosting an online po- program called Conversations with Bill Crystal. And he has authored numerous best-selling books. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report the founder and managing editor of the Weekly Standard, Mr. Bill Crystal. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. Crystal. My pleasure. Good to be with you. In just a moment, we're going to talk about ISIS, but before we do, I wanted to ask you about the letter recently signed by 47 senators warning Iraq's leaders that the next president may overturn any deal the Obama administration negotiates with Iran. What are your thoughts on that? I think it was a useful letter. It was an open letter, so there was nothing secret about it. It was restating a position that a lot of Republican presidential candidates and senators have taken, and some Democratic senators, incidentally, which is that the Obama administration needs to come to Congress to get approval of the deal. If they don't, it's really just a deal between President Obama and the Iranian leaders, and obviously the next president wouldn't be feel bound by it, and Congress wouldn't either. Um, so I think it was a useful restatement of that. It really called attention to this problem of the Obama administration trying to go it alone in this incredibly important question of whether this deal is, as Prime Minister Netanyahu said, paving the way to Iran having nuclear weapons rather than stopping Iran from getting nuclear weapons. Well, well, I guess my question is, is it dangerous to broadcast to the world that any agreement they strike with a United States president uh, might expire when the next administration steps in? I mean, what do you say to folks who worry that in addition to making the U.S. look flaky, Uh, we might be damaging the Oval Office's ability to negotiate. Well, we have a constitutional system where treaties are supposed to be presented to Congress uh, and get two-thirds of the vote. The administration wants to say, well, this isn't really a treaty. We could argue it should be. But if they want to say that, there's still a long-standing custom of serious agreements being presented to Congress, and at least Congress having a chance to opine on them. And we don't have a system in which a president can unilaterally make major commitments 
and not have them uh, called into question by future presidents. That's why we have a democracy. Look, Barack, I'll give you an example. George W. Bush agreed with the Prime Minister of Israel, Ariel Sharon, and they, wrote, they exchanged letters in 2004, and he gave certain guarantees that if Sharon pulled out of Gaza, which he did, uh, that they wouldn't, there wouldn't be pressure on Sharon in terms of some building or natural growth in these settlements within uh, what would be the final borders of Israel. Uh, it was a letter that helped reassure Sharon and gave him uh, enough support, helped him build support internally to be able to pull out of Gaza, which was a very difficult decision, obviously, for an Israeli yes. prime minister. Um, Obama took over, President Obama took over in 2009, and he didn't like that agreement. Uh, he wanted Israel to really stop all construction, even in places that were obviously going to be part of Israel under any kind of final agreement. And he said that was just a letter between Bush and Sharon, and I'm not bound by that. It's not like a treaty. Uh, now, that actually was a letter that was endorsed by the U.S. Congress uh, with sort of resolutions of endorsement. It didn't have the status, though, of a treaty. And so President Obama changed U.S. policy in terms of Israeli building in certain areas. And some of us thought it was a foolish change, but I don't think anyone questioned that he had the right to do it. I don't think it hurt U.S. credibility. Obviously, all things being equal, you don't want presidents cavalierly changing policies every four or eight years. But this is pretty important. I mean, if we're on the wrong track in terms of Iran getting nuclear weapons, you can't say, well, gee, it looks kind of bad to the world to to stay on that wrong track. It's sort of like Churchill changed policies when he took over from Chamberlain. I mean, you need to actually be serious about these major fundamental uh, questions of foreign policy. I don't think anybody's objecting to the 47 senators putting a letter together. I, I think that was the right thing to do. I think it's a question of where that letter went. Would it have been wiser for the letter to go to the White House or even for the 47 senators to present that case to the American people? Well, look, it's a public letter. I mean, it was released to the media and released to everyone at the same time. So it's sort of a question at that point of form, I suppose. I think it was a kind of, it was a little bit of a gimmick to get attention. It certainly did get a lot of attention. But it turns out to be important because it turns out the Iranian position is if the president signs that agreement, it is binding. They say it's part of international law. We can't change it. There are reports today that the administration might go to the U.N. and try to get them to ratify the agreement, which would be then much harder to get out of. So I think it was a useful way of kind of forcing a debate, and that's what's happened in the last three days, after all, about is it proper not to go to Congress? And maybe a letter to the administration could have done the same thing. But there already is legislation, of which, which has more than 50 co-sponsors, asking the administration to come to Congress. And I think the signers of the letter thought they needed to be a little more dramatic in making their case. But uh, So maybe it was a little overly dramatic, I guess you might say, but I don't think there was anything at all fundamentally wrong with it. Is this a case where we're getting into a lot of uh, gray areas in terms of semantics? I mean, we seem to be in a war on terror, but it hasn't actually been declared as a war by Congress. It's kind of like Vietnam was actually never a war, even though we were sending troops over there and we were there for many, many years years. Um, are we talking about agreements that actually should be brought to Congress as a treaty? Well, maybe, but, you know, yes, I tend to think this one probably could be. But there's also a custom of, just as we don't declare war, we do pass authorizations for the use of military force. It's not like Congress didn't weigh in after 9-11. It's not like Congress didn't authorize the use of force in Iraq. It's not like Congress doesn't appropriate funds every year for these wars or cut them off, as the Democrats tried to do in 2007. But by not calling them a war, by not declaring them the war, don't they relinquish a certain amount of leeway to the Oval Office as as the president is is the commander-in-chief? Well, the president has intrinsic leeway in many ways. But no, the, the Congress controls the purse string. No one thought in 2007 when the Democrats were trying to cut off funds for Iraq mm-hmm. that I thought it was very unwise. But no one thought they didn't have the right to try to do that. And that would have been the case whether the war had been declared at one point or not. Declaring a war doesn't give a president a carte blanche either. I mean, so, no, I don't think that's really a fundamental issue. Look, there's always gray areas. And foreign policy, the president has more sway. No one's quarreling with that. The question is, this: for those who think, as Henry Kissinger said last month when he testified, that this is a really fundamental decision for the U.S., and it could be, uh, if Iran is on a path to nuclear weapons, it could just be a game changer in the Middle East and elsewhere in the world. Uh, I think it's worth people in Congress trying to uh, force a debate when the administration is trying to avoid one. 
Well, I don't know if we can say if they're on the path. I mean, I think it's pretty clear we wouldn't be in negotiations with them if they weren't on, on that path. That That is what, you know, is causing negotiations. Um, we're going to have to uh, take a scheduled break here. But when we come back, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, the relationship Iran has with North Korea, because that seems to be, to me, um, a discussion that no one's having, which is that North Korea has been purchasing arms from, or uh, Iran's been purchasing arms from North Korea since uh, the late 70s and early 80s. So I think there there's another resource for them. Um, so we're going to take our break, and when we come back, we'll hear more from Bill Crystal. You're listening to the Costa Report. love creating salads as much as you enjoy eating them? Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Dole inspires fresh and wholesome dishes for any meal with their wide selection of salad blends and all-natural salad kits. From the mild and tender texture of sweet butter lettuce to the crunch of classic romaine sprinkled with colorful shredded carrots and red cabbage, Dole has over 30 salad blends to satisfy every palate. If you're looking for the ultimate in convenience, try Dole's unique salad kit combinations that include farm-fresh lettuces and vegetables, mouth-watering all-natural toppings, and specially made dressings. It's all you need to make a distinctively delicious salad. The possibilities are endless. Visit www.dolesalads.com for recipes and other ideas to feed your culinary imagination. If you're wondering what to do with all that data you're creating, do I have an offer for you? Tableau is drag-and-drop software that people of any skill level can use to analyze and turn data into something actionable. That's right. I said actionable. And isn't that what all that data is for? With Tableau, you can connect to any data in virtually any format and visualize it on the fly. Databases, spreadsheets, even big data sources are instantly combined into usable charts, graphs, reports, and dashboards. People can analyze data and and drag drop at 10 times the speed of a traditional business intelligence system. But the most impressive thing about Tableau is that anyone can use it. And just to prove the point, you can get a free 14-day trial from Tableau just by mentioning you heard this ad. But do it now, because this offer won't last. For your free 14-day trial, visit Tableau at T-A-B-L-E-A-U dot com slash Costa. That's Tableau.com slash Costa. Tableau Software. What's your data trying to tell you? People do not like going to the dentist unless they're going to this dentist. Hello folks, Michael Olson here with Dr. Guy Peabody. Dr. Guy, is there a correlation between oral health and overall physical health? Absolutely. When when your oral health is is intact and, and things are healthy, your overall health is that much better and that much healthier. You feel better. When you've restored dental health to somebody who hasn't had any for a long time, what kind of change does that affect in them? Well, it, it brings about a tremendous sense of confidence within them and uh, and peace of mind. This is how we make people smile inside. Well, there it is, folks. If you want to smile inside... Call Dr. Guy Peabody for our consultation today and wake up to a great smile tomorrow. That's Dr. Guy Peabody at 831-457-0343 or visit drpeabody.com. That's drpeabody.com. Money can't make you happy, but the lack of it can sure add a lot of stress to your life. Need help with your personal finances? Listen Thursday nights at 7 p.m. to Money Moves. Host Pamela Fugit Hedrick offers one hour of free tips and tools to help you manage your cash flows with her Money Moves. Each Thursday night, she discusses topics like how to prevent a complete personal financial meltdown, how to start a go-to fund for emergencies, provide ideas on how to cut back rather than cutting out some of your expenses, how to erase your debt load and financial stressors, how to find funding for your retirement, how the heck do you enroll to use health insurance, 
No more excuses. Money Moves can answer these questions and so much more. Tune in Money Moves with your host, Pamela Fugit-Hedrick, Thursday night from 7 to 8 p.m. to work on your Money Moves. Back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is founder and managing editor of the Weekly Standard, Bill Crystal. And just to finish up on uh, negotiations with Iran, when uh, Netanyahu spoke to members of the Congress, he laid out his case against the proposed nuclear agreement. Uh, and the alternative he seemed to propose was uh, to to let Iran prove themselves first. So let's say we don't reach any agreement. Um, and Iran just keeps moving forward. Uh, my question is, is getting rid of some of the centrifuges better than getting rid of none of them? Or is this an all or nothing kind of situation? In, in which case, what is the solution if we're not going to talk to them and work out an agreement? Well, we have had sanctions on them, which were doing quite a lot of damage to them. Most would think that's what brought them to the table. But, but we did that with North Korea. We, we've had sanctions on them to the point where their people are starving. And, and that has done nothing to discourage their nuclear ambition. Well, it probably slows them down. And we actually released, well, unfortunately, relieved the sanctions at key points. But I agree, sanctions may not be enough. The threat of force is necessary. The president himself said that all options remain on the table and that we, it's unacceptable to let Iran get nuclear weapons. It was a mistake to let North Korea get nuclear weapons. We felt we couldn't do much about it. China was their protector. It's been very destabilizing. They've sold nuclear material to Iran. They gave nuclear material to Syria, which then Israel had to bomb the Syrian nuclear site in 2007. Uh, it's very unfortunate that North Korea is a nuclear state. It would be ten times more unfortunate to let Iran become a nuclear state. I, I couldn't agree with you more, but what I'm, uh, what I'm not understanding is it's one thing to oppose an agreement, and I understand the case for that, and, and I don't disagree with it, but I, I'm just looking for what's the alternative. The alternative is a combination of more pressure, the use of sabotage and force if necessary, and really making the Iranian regime feel that they might be at risk of falling if they don't give up the nuclear program. Now, maybe it won't work in any case, but the agreement doesn't even slow them down much, or if at all, it puts them within one year of a nuclear threshold. So the fact that I agree there's no great option on the other side, I think supporting the distance in 2009 might have been a good option. We didn't do that. Now, that might happen again. The regime is under pressure. It's not popular internally, it doesn't seem. They've lost a lot of legitimacy. Khamenei is ill. It, It just seems you can't... But again, because we don't have a perfect alternative or even a very good alternative, I think I think an agreement that really accepts putting them on the road to nuclear weapons uh, is really bad. Well, this is always the problem I have. I have the problem with objecting and turning down every imperfect solution uh, and not having some alternative that we can propose. I always feel like that's a weaker argument. Um, and, and so, moving along here. Well, wait. Uh, let me just add, let me just answer that. Yeah. I mean, the alternative was. This administration had a policy for the last four or five years, right? The world yeah, it hasn't worked. Or the negotiations. I'm sorry, it did work to some degree. The administration, first of all, we, they stopped their program in 03 to 05 after we invaded Iraq because they were scared we were going to use force against them. The sabotage set them back quite a lot in 2008, 2009. We don't know how much the sanctions, if continued, would have put pressure on the regime to slow down if they really felt they were at risk of falling. Mm-hmm. It has, but the program has been slowed over the last 10 years, I do think. It's not, and you know, look, it, 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 maybe we can't stop it forever, but they haven't been able to break through, and there's a lot more we could do probably, and including the use of military force if necessary. So I, I don't agree that we had to give up and say that it, it hadn't worked. Well, you're, you're right. Barring a parallel universe, we don't know if those economic sanctions really were the cause for the slowdown. Uh, But one thing we do know is it didn't stop them. It may have slowed them down, but it certainly didn't stop their ambitions, which is why we're back at this again. Now, as you know, Iran's been purchasing weapons from North Korea since the late 70s and early 80s. So, So let's just imagine for a moment Israel takes out all of Iran's centrifuges along with their long range missile facilities. The truth is North Korea is desperate to sell nuclear arms to Iran. And in in fact, they've invited Iranian rulers to be present at their nuclear tests. So is this just a case where uh, Iran has to decide whether to make or buy? 
No, because there's a lot we can do to impede North Korea selling them material. In fact, it hasn't been that easy for Iran to. They've had to. They've wanted to develop an indigenous capacity precisely because they can't really buy as much as they would like from North Korea, which does not have that much to sell. But it's been a disaster that Pakistan and North Korea became nuclear states, and they have proliferated, and we're in much worse shape as a result of that. We would be in infinitely worse shape. If Iran, a huge country, a large country, with much more prosperous, much more centrally located, much harder to blockade and sanction and quarantine, which we've virtually done with North Korea, if Iran became a nuclear power, that's one reason why people like me are so alarmed and why Kissinger said it would be such a game changer. I mean, if Iran goes nuclear, I really think we're then living in a world of many nuclear powers and they're unstable regimes. North Korea was bad enough. Pakistan was bad enough. Iran really could be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Now, I take your point that none of us has a perfect solution to this, but the administration's deal, they've so capitulated on all their red lines, all the things the U.N. Security Council itself was saying were the basic things we had to achieve in a negotiation just two, three, four years ago, that we haven't even tried sort of tough negotiations. We got into negotiations and immediately started capitulating on one thing after another. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I I don't disagree with that. It's hard to know how these negotiations would have gone if we'd st- stood firm. Right. But what about the argument that if everybody has nuclear weapons, you, you have a situation where it's uh, you're nuclear neutral, I guess is the words I would use. Well, I mean, we could hope that that would hold, but, you know, there are ter- these are terrorist states, they have un- they're unstable states. I think it's just common sense to say that a world in which uh, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Turkey, Iran, uh, Syria don't have nuclear weapons and terrorist groups don't have access concealed or have less access to nuclear weapons than they would otherwise have, it's just a safer world. You can never guarantee anything, obviously. But, you know, if you had said 70 years ago there won't be another use of nuclear weapons after 1945 for 70 years, I think people would have been surprised. And I think we probably don't, in a way, uh, this is sort of, you were making this point indirectly earlier, we don't Mm -hmm. think enough about why that was. But we've managed to keep the spread reasonably contained. It's worse than it should be, and North Korea and Pakistan are very bad actors. But we've managed to be fairly serious about deterring and punishing people for nuclear programs, and for, especially for secret nuclear programs of the kind Iran has had. And uh, that's one reason, again, I just think letting this go, in a sense, um, is, is just so dangerous for the future. And then what do we do about Pakistan and North Korea? We keep a close eye on them. We try to prevent them from proliferating. We've obviously put a lot of pressure on Pakistan. They did hide, they did fire, you know, fire eventually the fellow who was in charge of their program who was doing a lot of the proliferating. North Korea, you know, luckily, I guess, is kind of isolated, and you can try. We, we did try. The U.S. government has tried to, to prevent ships from smuggling nuclear stuff out of there. But it's tough, but it requires keeping an eye on them. Obviously, Pakistan, we, we were concerned about that regime. It's one reason we've been fighting in Afghanistan, to try to make sure Pakistan doesn't fall to a Taliban or, or al-Qaeda-type uh, movement. So, you know, there's no... There is no easy solution. It would be nice if we could snap our fingers and get rid of these weapons or get rid of all the instability and terror and radicalism, jihadism in the Middle East. But given that it's all there, I think it's really worth going the extra mile, and including using force if necessary in a limited way to try to set back at least these regimes achieving nuclear weapons. Mm, I I am very concerned about that. I wonder if the United States moves forward with this agreement, if we're really backing uh, Israel into a corner to have to use force or Israel and other allies. Uh, and uh, it's something that definitely um, could happen uh, if we move forward and uh, make it easier for people to develop uh, I nuclear think that's weapons. Really, that's really true. I mean, it is uh, almost as though Netanyahu was here to say, don't back us into a position where we have to defend ourselves. And, uh, you know, just reading between the lines, I heard that message loud and clear. We have to take another short break. And uh, when we come back, we'll be talking a little bit about ISIS and how that ties into these negotiations. You're listening to the Costa Report. Have you checked out the Costa Report blog yet? Well, what are you waiting for? There's no quicker way to find out what newsmakers are saying than the Costa Report blog at RebeccaCosta.com. It's where the former CEO of Apple and PepsiCo, John Scully, predicts where the next tech breakthroughs are going to come from. 
and also where Trent Lott explains why a GOP reversal of the Senate nuclear option will signal real change in our nation's capital. And the Costa Report blog is where you'll discover why Alan Dershowitz is worried that ISIS is adopting Hamas-like tactics. You'll find all this and more at the Costa Report blog. A new blog is posted every week, and they're short, pithy, and tell the unvarnished truth. Just go to RebeccaCosta.com to get the latest blog. That's RebeccaCosta.com. And while you're there, be sure to register for updates and breaking news. The Costa Report blog bringing you the news the big networks don't and won't. They say you'll never get a second chance to make a good first impression. Hello, I'm Lisa Sabini from Floors Etc. in Soquel. Floors Etc. will help you make a good first impression at your home or business with our incredible selection of carpet, vinyl, hardwood, linoleum, and window coverings. Listen. Hi, I'm Jack Crawford with Music Now DJs. My job is to provide music and entertainment for weddings, corporate, and special events. I'm a professional, so when it comes to my floors, I've been calling on the professionals at Floors Etc. for over 15 years. They're reliable, they're efficient, and their prices are always reasonable. Floors Etc. will help you make a good first impression at your home or business with our incredible selection of carpet, vinyl, hardwood, linoleum, and window coverings. Stop by Floors Etc.'s beautiful showroom and get to know us. When you need to make a good first impression, start at Floors Etc. 3155 Porter Street, SoCal, 462-5586. Hi, registered pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years, and what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. Fibromyalgia is a Latin term meaning muscle fiber pain, best thought of as a sign of toxicity, specifically blood toxicity. Dr. John Kavaris discovered that women given an injection of the blood thinner heparin reported that their fibromyalgia symptoms were dramatically reduced. He developed the hypercoagulation theory of fibromyalgia that postulated that sticky clogged blood following toxicity resulted in the deposition of clotting proteins and other poisons into the muscle. And where was the most likely source of the toxicity? The digestive tract and specifically the small intestine. The small intestine is the home of the microbiome, trillions of bacterial cells made up of many hundreds of strains, and they make vitamins that help us digest our food and detoxify poisons. If there are long-standing digestive issues, especially in the processing of fats, over time, these proportions get thrown off and the wrong types of bacterial strains can proliferate. Because these bacteria are constantly secreting waste materials, eventually the body will mount an immune defensive response and an inflammatory reaction will ensue. Eventually, the blood can become contaminated and the major blood response to this kind of contamination is clotting. If you're suffering from fibromyalgia or inflammatory pain issues, try eating fermented veggies. I like sauerkraut and beets. Pickles are good, too. You can make your own fermented veggies pretty easily, basically by mashing or cutting up veggies and adding some bacterial starter and salt. And you'd be wise to use a good probiotic supplement on a regular basis. And make sure you use a product that has multiple bacterial strains. Pharmacist Ben here, urging you to go to kscohealth.com to order Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, and other nutritional supplements that I personally use and recommend. You can purchase... Purchase these premium quality products at wholesale prices online at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. I'm the pharmacist that believes that staying healthy and strong is not only about medicine, it's about giving your body the raw materials it needs to do its work. Go to kscohealth.com. Make sure you check out the cool videos, too, at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, our guest today is Bill Crystal. If it's all right with you, I'd like to move on to ISIS. Um, uh, In your view, how has our response been so far? Um, Well, I'm glad that we're alarmed by it, uh, but I think we could be doing a lot more. And the president has been obviously very limited in his use of air power and and has ruled out ground troops. There are some ground troops there, but has ruled out really using American ground troops in a big way. And ISIS, you know, controls tens of thousands of square miles in Iraq and Syria, is slaughtering people, and is recruiting people because they seem to be winning. And that's really a terrible thing, I think. I mean, you really, whatever the problems Bush had, and he had plenty, and, and Obama in his first term, there was never really a moment when one felt after 9-11, I don't think, that the terrorists were winning and that they were the winning side, or what bin Laden said, the strong horse. And I think that helped a lot limit the damage they could do. Maybe in 05, 06 in Iraq was the one moment they seemed to be on the ascendancy, but then Bush ordered the surge. So now in 2013, 2014, 
2015 with ISIS's growth and and the just spread through the Middle East and now Iran's fighting them when any any moderates seem to be just shoved aside and killed. Um, it's really worrisome, I think. Um, now, where do you stand on uh, this discussion about shutting ISIS communications down on Twitter, Facebook, and social media in general? That I seems to be their recruitment go. ground. That's the yeah, media I, I of choice. Yeah, I think you're definitely able to really shut that down, though. And I suspect the best way to shut their recruitment down is by making it a, a lot of people think that if they go over there, they're going to be you know, blown up pretty fast. I mean, there's no nothing recruits as well as success. And I just don't understand why we're not pummeling them more. I mean, we do have good intelligence. We do have a lot of air power. Leave aside the ground troops issue even. It would be very useful every time they get together in groups of 40 or 60 or 100 if they felt that they were at risk of losing their lives. I suspect a lot of the recruits wouldn't be so hurried in such a hurry to get over there. One has the impression that they well, there are occasional bombing runs and all that, but you know they have marches, they have parades, they slaughter people in these marches. You know they parade people through town in, in, in these ghastly cages and then burn them. All these horrible things. You don't have the sense that they're looking up at the sky every moment, thinking, "Oh my God, I could I could disappear pretty quickly," which would be kind of a useful for that thing for them to be thinking. I think. So let me ask you, why so much restraint on our part? We we know where they are. We know they're parading. We know that they're you know. We, I mean. We actually have the intelligence to go after them. Why are we, uh, I guess, why are we being so hesitant? Yeah, I'm a little puzzled, honestly. I mean, I as I don't think this necessarily requires a huge amount of ground troops. There would be civilian casualties. There would be some cases where we'd make a mistake, I suppose. And maybe the administration has decided it's better just to target leaders with pretty careful drone strikes and so forth and not get in the business of sort of bombing whole areas. And and maybe I mean, look, maybe it's not so easy to do, and and they're obviously merging with melding with civilian populations, et cetera. So I don't mean to minimize the task. Your military people I've talked to have said this is, would be a serious effort. But you know, either we're treating it as a serious war or not. The president went on national television and said, "I we need to take on these people." But like, given that, I think the country would easily have rallied to him and said. Sure, whatever you say, let's let's go in and really stop them. As it is now, the Iranians are the ones who are stopping them, which has its own terrible consequences. <laughs> you know, so I, I really do think it's a case, you know, every choice is sort of a difficult choice in this area, obviously. But this is a case where the more we step back, retreat, seem unwilling to act, the more bad actors step in, seem willing to act, can recruit, uh, get stronger. And it's not the case that two bad actors who may hate each other, let's say Iranian-backed Shia militias and, I, and ISIS, the fact that they hate each other and kill each other, some, uh, that's still not good for us. Because at the end of the day, you know, they will also export that terror beyond killing each other. And any hope for a decent, somewhat moderate, tolerant, non-warlike Middle East starts to vanish more and more. And what you said earlier, I think, is a very important point about Prime Minister Netanyahu. I mean, what is... You know, with Iran, uh, but this is more broadly true, too. I mean, you said you were worried that, you know, he was sending a message that he would have to act if we didn't against Iran. It's not just, but think about Iran. This is a country that's dedicated to the destruction of the state of Israel. It's not just like, gee, they don't get along very well. They have some issues, you know. And the same is true as ISIS starts to maraud through the Middle East. So the degree to which one war leads to another, or, or and our weakness, really, our retreat, just leads to more and more chaos and violence and killing, uh, it's, it's, I don't know. I really can't remember. I'm, it's, it's depressing, obviously, and worrisome. But I think the next president's going to um, have a real hole to dig us out of. Now, a, a short while uh, ago, you ran an article by Jonathan Foreman uh, that said that the uh, A10 Warthog has been playing a big role in our conflict with ISIS. Yes, I mean Jonathan. Uh, is a fan of that uh, particular uh, airplane and, and wrote an interesting piece about it. And soldiers I've talked to, Marines I've talked to, were, uh, who were fought in Iraq and Afghanistan liked it. I guess the military, the, the Pentagon, the Air Force, thinks it's old and it's not very glamorous and they keep trying to shut it down. So this is kind of one of these odd fights here in Washington where uh, a plane that the grunts seem to like an awful lot um, the, the top brass seem to want to shut down. I'm not expert enough to really have an intelligent opinion on that, but I, I, I'm told by people who've been there in the fight that the, it's a terrifying sight seeing this very noisy plane with machine guns rattling coming overhead and 
it can do a lot of damage. Certainly, it helped our our Marines and soldiers in Afghanistan and Iraq, and I should think it and it has been apparently quite effective when used. Though it hasn't been used that much, I don't think against ISIS. Well, it's uh, it's clunky, it's slow, <laughs> but right. it can get closer down into the ground, and it seems to hit its targets much better, as opposed to some of the more modern technologies. The, the pl- other planes are faster, and they have to fly higher above the ground. I, I understand that 70 or 80 percent of the time, uh, when air support's called in, they're calling for the Warthog, and it's been around forever. I think it was developed during the Cold War. Oh, yeah, at the early outset in the Cold War. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And um, This is the plane well, the, the military can't kill. It is funny, isn't it? <laughs> but, or not funny, but it's sort of ironic. But, you know, it does get to a broader question, which is one of the most important things I think this Congress could do, this Republican Congress, is stop the hemorrhaging of the defense budget and try to restore a reasonable level of defense spending. Because we can talk, and you and I have been talking about American strength and what we do about Iran, what we do about ISIS. All this depends on a basic infrastructure of American power, and we are obviously a very strong country and a strong military, extremely well-trained military, but we've been cutting it a lot in the last few years, and right now the Republican Congress, I'm ashamed to say really it's a Republican, looks like it's going to at least begin by accepting a sequester level of defense spending that's even lower perhaps than what the president has proposed. And I think that's really a disaster. And we're, you know, we certainly can afford, we're spending maybe 4% of our GDP on defense. We could afford to spend more like five. We spent much more than that during the Cold War. And uh, the world is getting less safe. And I think it's a very good investment to spend a nickel on a dollar to try to prevent the world from getting even more unsafe. But what do you but, say to people who say, we, we can't really afford it anymore? We're policing in so many locations these days. Well, we're, no, we're policing actually fewer locations than we used to. If you look at the, kind of the Cold War, 300,000 troops in Europe and many, many troop, more troops in Korea and still have troops in Japan. Look, I do think we are somewhat of a world policeman, and it is expensive, and some people freeload off us. But what does a world look like without a world policeman? It's It's sort of like... You know, it's the police force at home or the fire department, and sometimes they're 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 padded. They don't need all the people they have. Sometimes there's excessive ones. Sometimes you you know maybe they're they're, they're used uh, fool. They're deployed not perfectly, but you don't really want to run the risk, run the experiment of having of being under policed or or having a fire department that doesn't isn't able to react to more than one fire at a time. And unfortunately, this is a world that has more than one fire at a time. That's right. And I think with globalization, we've lost that geographic isolation that used to keep, you know, uh, contagions, well, used to slow contagions down. Now with globalization, it's almost as though if you don't have someone uh, overseeing and uh, playing policemen, things tend to move much faster, as in the ISIS case. And as you brought up, um, there were plenty of uh, opportunities to keep ISIS from uh, becoming embedded in the towns that they're in right now. I remember watching the news forecast and seeing these convoys. Uh, and I was thinking, well, if we see them on the road and we're taking pictures of them on the road going into Iraq, why aren't we stopping them when they're lined up like trucks? But uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I don't have a military background myself. Now, we have to take our last break, but stay right where you are. We'll be back with after these important messages. You're listening to the Costa Report. If you're wondering what to do with all that data you're creating, do I have an offer for you? Tableau is drag-and-drop software that people of any skill level can use to analyze and turn data into something actionable. That's right. I said actionable. And isn't that what all that data is for? With Tableau, you can connect to any data in virtually any format and visualize it on the fly. Databases, spreadsheets, even big data sources are instantly combined into usable charts, graphs, reports, and dashboards. People can analyze data and -and drag-and-drop at 10 times the speed of a traditional business intelligence system. But the most impressive thing about Tableau is that anyone can use it. And just to prove the point, you can get a free 14-day trial from Tableau just by mentioning you heard this ad. But do it now, because this offer won't last. For your free 14-day trial, visit Tableau at T-A-B-L-E-A-U dot com slash Costa. That's Tableau.com slash Costa. Tableau Software. What's your data trying to tell you? 
I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars, and I have a question for you, Scott. What goes into making Method Champenois Bubble? You know, it's a process that's really defined by the French government that we've taken and enacted into our wines, which really drive the quality of our sparkling project. So this is a process that the French government defines pretty specifically, and you remain faithful to that. Yeah, 100%. And in some places, we push it a little bit. Now, how do the bubbles translate on the palate? You know, it really gives you that vehicle, that mousse for the character of the sparkling wine, carrying the fruit and the complexity. It's the expression of the wine. To find out more about Caraccioli Wines, visit us at www.caracciolicellars.com or stop by our tasting room in downtown Carmel, California. That's Caraccioli Cellars, C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I. Cellars, come taste the difference. Heart palpitations? Chest discomfort? Shortness of breath? Join Dr. Gan Dennington of the St. Helena Arrhythmia Center on March 24th and learn about new surgical treatment options that are less invasive and have better outcomes, including the new hybrid maze procedure. That's March 24th at the Quail Lodge and Golf Club in Carmel. Reserve your space today at 877-596-0644. That's 877-596-0644. Hi folks, Warren Knox here of Knox Roofing. Are you aware of the 10 most wanted? Miss Sally Sunshine, she'll bake your underlayments to a crisp. Mr. Douglas Fur, known to crash into your roof without any consultation or hesitation. Mr. Forest Fire, if you don't have a fire-resistant roof, he'll toast you when he comes through your town. Mr. Joe Blow Roofer, consider him armed and dangerous. He'll take your money and leave you with a disaster waiting to happen. Mr. Raging Rain will get into your nooks and crannies and soak you. Miss Windy Storm, she'll give your roof a royal lift when you least expect it. Mrs. Frida Frigid, her cold temperatures will crack your old shingles. Mr. Hal Handyman, he'll break more tiles and scuff up more shingles than cleaning your gutters are worth. Mr. Raunchy Roden, he'll chew a hole into your home and he'll make it his own. And last is Mr. Old Man Time. This man will visit every roof sooner or later and when he does, your time will be up. Okay, call Knox Riving to keep the 10 most wanted out of your home. 461-0634. Thanks, folks. It's always open house at the Mike Young Real Estate Hour, and you are always invited to walk right in and join the discussion. Hello, I am Mike Young, and I love talking real estate with all the experts and with you. So get a jump on the Real Estate Weekend every Friday, 7 p.m. on the Mike Young Real Estate Hour, right here on Listen and Be Heard Radio KSCO. The Mike Young Real Estate Hour is brought to you by Thunderbird Real Estate, Real People Selling Real Estate, by Rick Williams at American Pacific Mortgage, and by Steve Manville at Farmers Insurance. Friday at 7. See you then. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and our guest today is founder of The Weekly Standard and popular political analyst, Mr. Bill Kristol. Um, You know, a few days ago, you said that the uh, next presidential election will be a foreign policy election. I I have to agree with that. And and I believe you also said that uh, based on where things stand right now, um, Hillary Clinton would win. Now, now that was that was a surprise. Maybe I didn't go quite that far. I think I was worried. (laughs) I was worried that some of my fellow Republicans were were uh, too confident that we could just say she was part of the Obama administration and that would sort of disqualify her. And I was just warning Republicans they need to have a coherent account of foreign and defense policy. For example, uh, propose, I think, serious increases, but well thought through ones in the defense budget, propose policies for ISIS, Iran, uh, Ukraine, et cetera. They can't just assume that people, you know, will say, well, Obama's foreign policy is not working well, which it isn't. Hillary Clinton was part of it, which she was. But, you know, people might also decide she's experienced, she's pretty tough, she probably doesn't agree with Obama on all this stuff, and they might sort of default to her if Republicans don't really put some time and thought and effort into developing a well-thought-out defense and foreign policy. Yeah, you know, this feels exactly like the point we were making about the nuclear agreement. Uh, you have to propose a, a better alternative. 
You know, I, I, I yeah. listen to a lot of folks that, that come on this program and they say, well, you know, I'm against this for the following reasons. And they go into great depth about why they're opposed to something. And yet when it gets to the, well, okay, so what's your alternative that you're proposing? You know, they, they, they spend about 30 seconds on that. And I, I'm almost feeling that way about this coming election as well. You know, it's okay to look at, well, does Hillary run? She doesn't run. She's weak here. She's strong here. But I, I don't hear, well, what's, what's going to be the alternative? I mean, it's early, and so obviously these governors and senators will have time to develop it. But I think it's a fair question, and I think we should judge them uh, by the seriousness of their alternative. That's one reason I'm so exercised about the defense budget right now. So I think if Republicans want to say, is I think they should say, this has been a weak uh, administration with a weak foreign policy. It's made the world more dangerous. Um, we need to do more peace through strength, etc. And that's what most Republicans say, and I agree with it. You then have to say, okay, well, are we strong enough? I mean, have we given the next president the tools he needs, he or she needs to do the job? And I think right now it's questionable. So I really come back. It's one thing Congress can do. You know, we can argue about the one could argue about the Iran nuclear deal. Congress has the power of the purse. If Congress wants to increase defense spending more than the president wants, wants to mandate that the A10 be continued and more of them be purchased, and so, et cetera, uh, they can do that. So uh, that would be a very concrete thing that a Republican Congress could do. I think that would help the country. Uh, lay the, the president might say, "Well, I don't need all this force," but fine. The next president might decide he needs it. It's a bit of an insurance policy, and it's a very small part at this point of the federal budget. So I, I really, um, I, I'm a little obsessed with the defense spending issue. I just worry that because I worry that even with a good president who wants to do the right thing, he may turn out that he's uh, doesn't have the capacity to do it. Well, so let me ask you this: with, with the next president facing a debt of twenty trillion, fierce global competition. Unstop, uh, an unstoppable nuclear arms race, growing instability in the Middle East, Russia, and even on the African continent, uh, and a third of the U.S. population going into retirement. We've got the euro on the verge of collapse. Um, um, who, who, in your views, up to the job? Because <laughs> well, I, 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 I don't, I, you and I wouldn't take that job that if it was job. at any price. Somehow, a lot of those people want it. Isn't that amazing? You know, even though maybe they think it'll be easier. I think your instinct is right that we'll have crises. It'll be a very tough time. I, I don't think the next president's going to have an easy time. I admire the people in a way who are running because they they must know that and they want to take it on. But you're uh, a Washington but, insider. You have been in the White House. You've been right. outside the White House. Right. Who's up to the job? I don't know. Honestly, if I had to vote tomorrow in the Republican primary in Virginia, and I do vote every four years in the Republican primary in Virginia, I'm not sure who I would vote for. Some of these governors have done a good job, but you don't know if being a good governor is not the same, of course, as being a good president. Is that, are they tough enough? Do they, do they know enough? Senators who know more about the issues have never had executive experience. This is an unusual Republican field. I, I think it's good. It's a good field. I mean, there's some really impressive, mostly younger, mostly men, uh, and I want to see them, you know, and I think we'll know much. The good news is we don't have to vote for here, and we should really take a serious look at them. And I, my only advice to voters, people ask me, what we, you know, is really take a look at them. I mean, this isn't one where you should just check off someone. He's got a familiar name. I like his state. He looks like a nice guy. You know, they should be serious about the task that the next president has ahead of him, as you just said, and to be, take seriously in a way the choice of the best person to, to run the country. Yeah, you're right. It it is a going to be a very very tough administration this next time around, uh, and I I have moments where I don't think the wiser of uh, of the two choices might not be to let this election go. But uh, but then you know I get a lot of blowback yeah, I when that, I tell so. people that yeah, yeah, <laughs> there are some dangerous. elections you don't want to win, and I know nobody <laughs> likes to hear that, but this might be one of those. Now before we run out of time today, yeah. do you have a website where listeners can go to get more information and also catch your internet program conversations with bill crystal yeah well that, that's the weekly standard weeklystandard.com is the magazine's website it's got daily posts obviously that are updated as well as the weekly content of the magazine we'd love to have everyone come to that and thank you for giving me the opportunity to promote it conversations with billcrystal.org you can look at google that or look look go right to that website that's a series of uh, somewhat like this conversation actually rebecca conversations i've had with people whom i thought their insights would be interesting. They're, you know, they're often biographical and more about that. They're they're not timely. You know, they're supposed to be things that could stay up there for two years, five years, ten years. Um, I'm taping one with Charles Krauthammer tomorrow. Actually, we'll talk more about his 
autobiography, how he came to the views he has, uh, what he thinks about the future of the West more broadly. I, I think there's some very good conversations up there with some academics, with people like Dick Cheney and Joe Lieberman, thoughtful people in public life. It's really designed for younger people, for people, you know, if you're a 21-year-old and you really want to sort of hear, uh, learn about politics and about uh, political philosophy a little bit, uh, other topics, uh, and, and really uh, kind of you know, help educate them. Our universities don't always do as good a job as they might, and I think this is a pretty easy way of getting some some uh, insight into some of these issues. I hope it is. So well, as you and I both know, the long form of interview has just virtually evaporated from the media, and we don't have any easy problems that can really be satisfactorily answered in five-minute clips. So I am so grateful for you to have the this program, Conversations with Bill Crystal. That is all the time we've got today, but uh, before we say goodbye, Thank you for your work at the Weekly Standard and for making time to speak with us today. Thank well, you, Mr. Thank you for and Thank you for keeping this tradition of uh, serious and thoughtful discussions alive. Thank you, and come back soon. If your station is leaving us after the first hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Bill Crystal, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And if you missed the full interview with Crystal or with any of our other previous guests, you can download episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our YouTube channel, and also the Voice America Business Channel. And if you're a new listener and you like what you heard today and you want to hear more in-depth quality programming on the air, there's a very easy way you can show your support and it won't cost you one red cent. The next time you're going to order a book, a printer cartridge, a CD, or a gift from Amazon, please go to RebeccaCosta.com. By clicking on any book in our bookstore, it'll take you right over to Amazon's main webpage where you can make your purchase. And every time you go through our bookstore to make a purchase on Amazon, Amazon pays the Costa Report a small fee. Like I said, it's not going to cost you one red cent. And by shopping at Amazon this way, you keep informative shows like the one you heard today on the air. Speaking honestly, we we all realize by now that a a small number of media outlets manage most of the news stories that that you hear today. But as you know, we remain a holdout, and not a small holdout. We now have a growing army of listeners in every state of the union. So so help us maintain that independence. Just go to RebeccaCosta.com. Click on any book in our bookstore, and it'll take you right over to Amazon. And a small percentage of all of your spending at Amazon helps to keep the Costa Report on the air. And like I said, it won't cost you a nickel more. And speaking of not costing you anything at all, my guest next week is the chairman of Forbes Media, Mr. Steve Forbes, who says world economies are in for a bumpy ride ahead. And the key to a robust U.S. recovery is to cut Cut, cut taxes. (laughs) So don't miss Steve Forbes next week. He's going to tell us how to do that. Join us next week on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for another hour of Straight Talk Radio. And before we close this hour, I want to make sure I thank our guest during the first hour, Mr. Bill Crystal, the editor of the Weekly Standard. Please join him on his program every week. Conversations with Bill Crystal. I think you'll really enjoy it. If you enjoy this program, you'll enjoy the in-depth coverage that he also gives during that uh, during that program. You're listening to the Costa Report. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 